Welcome back to the Big Water Podcast. This is season two, and we're going to do things a little different because we learn, we listen to you guys. So make sure you let us know what you want to hear, who you want to hear, all that good stuff. But, you know, I need to be roped in every now and then. I mean, we could go a whole down rabbit hole about that and everybody in my life. But Producer Dude is that roping in guy, and Producer Dude is going to, he's going to be you know, more than just behind the scenes. He's been waving cards and throwing things up through the years with me for really more than a decade. But you've seen him in the back. He's giving me a hard time. But producer dude, are you going to like tell us what's up this year? Yeah, unfortunately, Ross is making me do this. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm here. I think it's not as much I'm making him do it. He just, you know, we're going to refine this. We're listening to what you guys have to say. And, and somebody's got to rope me in. Um so we definitely want to hear what everybody has to say, and we hope you want to hear what we have to say. So doing one is going to lead to the other. And, you know, like this week, we've got Matt Johnson from the ICE team. You know, Matt's been a longtime friend and really kind of, in theory, a boss, too. He's the manager of the ICE team, and some really good insight. He's been in the industry his entire time. And, Tad, I, I, he's one of those guys that I think you're going to find out is he lives, breathes, and sleeps it. Like this is a fishing guy and ice fishing specifically, like 20 degrees out, you know, he's happy 20 below. He's almost even happier. Yeah. Ice fishing is my favorite thing to do, uh, going out with you. I can't take it in the boat for more than four hours. I am not a fisherman. So four hours exhausts me. Uh, but I did want to bring up real quick country, Steve, uh, explain country, Steve to everybody. And he's back. Hey, I'm still I'm still back on the mind blown that ice fishing is your favorite because even back when we were doing the TV show together yeah. on TV TV that that was your favorite and you always said that and I just kind of rolled my eyes but probably as much as they're going to roll your eyes when you watch the episode with Country Steve because he's back a five month banishment right you know that's pretty that's 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 a harsh penalty yeah. you know people get you know violent crimes don't even hardly go to jail <laughs> that long well, there's probably been yeah. violent crimes between me and him but. <laughs> Um, Explain yeah. who Country Steve is to the audience. Well, Country Steve is a longtime friend, kind of the right-hand guy of big water fishing. You know, Steve can catch a fish in your pocket. Do not mistake. Um, he's, he's a new and improved Steve. He's lost about 100 pounds, so he's not Big Steve anymore. But if you really want to know how Country Steve came to be about, because we have lots of names for Steve through the years, most of which cannot be put on this podcast, even though we are kind of rated R anyhow. Um, but make sure you watch that first episode where we were fishing in the spring about a it's year the ago. the Instagram Girls video on your YouTube channel. Yeah. And let's just say in true Big Water fashion, it just kind of went where <laughs> it went. And you couldn't have roped that in no matter what. And when me and him are together, there's no roping. He's something. It's a goat show He's is what it is. definitely something. All right. Tell everybody how they can, uh, how they can find your videos. Bigwaterfishing.com. We've got everything on there. We've got it on YouTube. We've got stuff linked through Instagram and, of course, Facebook at Big Water Fishing. Basically, if you just Google Big Water Fishing, I think you can get a hold of us, whether it's our podcast, it's our videos, or whatever it is. And like I said, feel free, please. People always afterwards want to talk about stuff, but let us know in advance who you want to hear from, what you like, what you don't like. We're open to that stuff. Okay, we should probably get to our guest. Today we're kind of doing something that's, I'm, I'm a closet guy, and it shouldn't really be considered a closet guy because I'm on the ice team. And the main man of the ice team is who we have today, Matt Johnson. Matt, thank you for joining us. You got it, Ross. Can't wait. So tell us a little bit, I mean, you've been in the fishing business your whole life. I mean, you worked it just like me. You kind of came from that tackle shop deal. Now, obviously, you're the, what is it, is it pro team director? What's, what, what exactly are you doing there? I got it. What hat do I got on today? I mean, we wear a lot of hats here. I mean, I, I manage Ice Team and all the assets of sponsorships, and then, of course, I manage all the pro staff for Climb Outdoors, 
um, blackfish gear, all-terrain tackle. It's it's awesome. I get to work with 650 guys and gals in almost every state in America and, of course, many provinces in Canada. So we stay busy. We love what we do. And fishing is really, it's a family deal. It, it's, a, you know, the camaraderie and stuff like that. And, I mean, you, I remember you even telling me, like, I knew it was kind of back and forth with kayaks, but isn't ice fishing the, the fastest growing segment of, of fishing? Yeah, it has been for years. I mean, obviously, uh, by volume, by actual numbers, it might not be, but percentage of growth per year, it's just booming, and it's not slowing down. I mean, you'd like to think at some point you'd see some peaks and valleys, but ice fishing is continuing to trend, uh, and you can see it. If you go on the ice, uh, you see that it, the sport is growing. You go to the ice fishing various shows, like you've been to Novi and many of them, you see the shows are growing, and especially the interest for ice, so... Yeah, it's not slowing down, and we don't see it slowing down for the foreseeable future, and our retailers are telling us the same thing. Yeah, I mean, speaking of shows, it's like, I know I worked on you guys' behalf, the St. Paul Ice Show one year, and that's like, it, you, you should have a different name for it, because coming from my neck of the woods, you know, we're kind of on the edge of the ice belt, realistically, and that's like an extravaganza. I compare it to, like, the hard water version of the Bassmasters Classic. Like, it is sure. insane, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but the first time, we hadn't been working together that long at that point, and you were like, hey, you need to be inside the building, and these bathrooms here go to the outside, and, you know, you were, like, adamant with me in this stuff, and I'm like, dude, I'm not the guy that's, like, not responsible, and I'm, like, said something to a couple of their guys, I'm like, does Matt think I'm a ding-dong, or what's the deal? And he's like, no, you don't understand. And at that point, I don't know if you remember this, but it was, he's, the fire marshal was only going to let so many people in, and if you went out certain doors, you literally couldn't get back in, and 10 below zero, the people were out the door, literally down the street, waiting to get in, and it's just like... You know, we, we don't have that a lot of places, and I, I think that's probably safe to say that might be one of the only shows that, that's like that. Yeah, it's it's bonkers. I mean, it's I don't know exactly their limitations for fight, but I know at many situations the promoters have called me on my cell phone, and they're like, uh, we're getting close. We might stall some people at the door. And, and you're talking about uh, the St. Paul River Center. So you're not talking a little venue like a church uh gymnasium you're talking a monster venue so to maximize that space and i believe at one point i heard from the promoter uh from the venue not necessarily the show that like the largest three-day in terms of just pure volume is that show and you're talking like one of the major major convention halls in their entire state so that's pretty cool to hear you know and, and realistically just because i fish literally year round ice fishing is the least amount of type of fishing I get to do. It's just logistically what you can do. But I have to say, honestly, it's my favorite. I don't think that I've taken anybody ice fishing that hasn't really liked it unless they just weren't prepared because they showed up with not the proper clothing, which is no excuse really for that anymore, especially with how really price uh, realistic ice armor even is, you know? But I mean, a, a short story, a couple of years ago, I had a guy from down south and I said, hey man, he's been with me for 20 years on open water stuff. And he says, hey, my son was kind of telling me about this, you know, ice fishing thing. And he goes, he goes, man, that just doesn't make no sense to me. And I said to him, I said, tell you what, you got to go with me one time. And he looked me right in the face in his best little southern accent. And he says, boy, I lived 65 years without walking on water. And he says, I ain't going to start now. So I ended up talking him into coming. And the long and the short of it is, he came up to me afterwards and he said, hey, I know this is a limited deal because you only get so many days. And he says, have I been good to you? I said, well, yeah, you've been real good to me through the years. And he said, well, you make sure I'm on top of that list. Because, you know, people that haven't had, just like any type of hunting or fishing, if you haven't had that opportunity or done it, 
you don't know what it's about and people think of the cold, but now with the shelters and the suits and the heaters and all this, I mean, truthfully, like us just filming a show on, on Lake Erie, you know, yesterday, quite literally, that's colder than when we're ice fishing because we can get out of the elements. Yep. Um, you know, when you're in the boat and you got that wind coming on your face 40 miles an hour or just in general, like that giant air, you know, cooler, it's, it's worse to me. I would agree. I'd rather be on the ice when it's 10 degrees out, bundled up in ice armor, dressed appropriately, than being in the boat when it's 40 degrees out and windy. So, I, I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, I mean, so with that said, like the guy from down in Texas, you know, this is, hey, I have an ice, and this guy's been all over the world. These guys, life's been good to him. You know, he's done all kinds of hunting and fishing trips and just never took that opportunity because he just assumed, you know, kind of had a preconceived notion or didn't have the right circumstance, what have you. But, I mean, I think when I think of ice fishing, and I don't know if this is true with you, but even for me as a kid, I did quite a bit of it because back then we had a little bit colder winters here in Ohio and some of the ponds and different things, you know, like Lake Erie still doesn't always freeze, but you know, those ponds, those were opportunities for me when I didn't have, you know, a fancy ranger boat and I didn't have all this stuff. It's really cost effective. So I, I, is that, you know, something that's, is that fair? Absolutely. I'd say it's, it levels the playing field. I mean, I can relate to it as well. Like I started fishing young at a young age and honestly it was the ice fishing that got me addicted because we didn't have a boat growing up we were limited to shore fishing and quite frankly i was catching carp and catfish and whatever else like but once the lakes froze over it levels the playing field and like you said ross you don't need a fancy boat you don't need a big truck you can get out to these spots uh, that anyone can get out to and it is very cost effective you can you can man we've done some I've done many, many, had many conversations with families looking to get into the sport, let's say for a Christmas gift. And you'll be surprised for a thousand bucks, you can outfit your entire family. You can get a fish house, a heater, some rods and reels, a hand auger, a tackle. Uh, you can get out there for relatively cheap and take the whole family fishing. Uh, oh, and, so and the cost effective opportunity. Yeah, and you know, that's what I kind of want to talk about is the evolution of ice fishing because. You know, Dave Gens is kind of the ice fishing godfather, right? And he's a, a definitely the face of, of clam or ice team or both. But w within that, you look at like just quick talking about the evolution. You talk because of cost. Like now that they've got bikes and we've got other things like that, we've got like what is it? The mad? Uh, what's the the mad? Dota. Yeah, snow dog. Like, I mean, you don't even have to have some giant four wheeler now if that's something you're not going to use for hunting or in the rest of you know the season to get you out there. If maybe you know you you don't, I mean, who wants to walk three miles on the ice, right? You feel like that's a thousand. So there's a lot of even transportation options that are much more cost effective than even just a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, I was just with um, uh, one of our new partners that came to the building yesterday. We gave him a tour, and of course, we have the Rambo bikes set up out there in the warehouse, the snow dogs, and we were talking about that exact thing. And I'm like, if you don't want to spend a bunch of money on a wheeler, if you don't hunt, if you don't want to buy a snowmobile, you can get out there for cheap. And then these, like, these motorized e-bikes, you can use them 12 months long, and you can stud the tires, and you can add accessories, and you can put your GPS on the handlebars, and you can do all this stuff. And the one thing I think we forget here in the epicenter of ice fishing in Minnesota is that when you get outside Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the Dakotas, really, uh, like you said, they're not driving on the ice of their trucks. They don't have these four-month-long seasons. There's, there's counties in certain states that don't allow motorized vehicles on the ice. There's all these sorts of the variables, right? So with these e-bikes and some of these other machines like snow dogs, you can get around. 
you don't have to sludge through slush and snow because, like you said, three miles is a long walk. And I bet you haven't walked three miles in a few years, Ross. So it's a. Uh... Now, now, there's a lot of stuff you can bust my chops about, but dude, I'm I'm svelte. <laughs> you are fit. I'll admit, dude, yeah, you, you don't you don't want none. You don't want none of this. <laughs> I'm glad you're in Ohio, but you no, know, you make a point. Like you know, I have plenty of buddies in Wisconsin that say they can't bring an ATV on the ice, and if they do, it has to have specific flotation applications to it. Uh, and there's parts in Iowa or Indiana or even your neck of the woods where they just never get enough ice to drive out. I know. Um, I always roll my eyes all the time we talk because you're often by like, you know, I, I'm probably exaggerating, but in December you're like, yeah, we can't even drive out yet. And I'm just <laughs> rolling my eyes like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can remember as a young kid them driving and doing some stuff, but um, it's it just, it's not often, you know, we get current that eats the ice anyhow. But so what do you think? I can remember, you know, some of the stuff we're going way back, you know, Gary Roach, I used to travel with as a kid and he had his own, um, a rod series. And I know at that same time, Gens kind of had a rod series with Berkeley and yep. you know, there's, there's certain points in the fishing industry that I think if you're a student in the game, you look back on and say, Hey, that was a big deal. And at the time, I don't know if you really realize it. Right. And is like that Berkeley summit, is that kind of one of those those moments you think for ice fishing? Yeah, there was a, a moment years ago on Lake Malax where, like, our idols to this day still were were fishing and obviously pioneering things. Whether it's Mr. Gary Roach, Dave Gens, Al Linder, uh, slew of guys, and I'm going to miss many of the names. We're hanging out on on Lake Malax, and the thing this was years ago, Ross. I don't know if you and I were we probably were, were born. We were young young dudes, right? making our parents' lives uh, live in heck. But uh, they were in these hard shacks catching walleyes when the sun came up and the sun went down. But then you have this long window of time during the day. And I know Dave Gens sat there saying, what do you do all day? Well, we just sit and hang out and talk, and we wait for that prime time bite. And he says, well, where are the fish? Oh, we're not sure. Well, do you ever move to chase them down? Not really. Well, Gens got that spur in his butt like he always does, and grabbed his auger and started running around, hole hopping, moving and moving and trying spots. And lo and behold, he comes back with a few fish. And that really pioneered what mobility is today, is that you don't get sedentary when the bite's not hot. You move because, as you know, Ross, and this has, this is not just ice fishing, uh, you wouldn't park your ranger boat on a weed line, spot lock, and not move for eight hours. Well, maybe 1% of the time because you found that bite. But... Usually you wouldn't do it. And Dave Gens many years ago said, well, why are we sitting in this hard-sided fish house? I know it's comfortable. Move around. Well, lo and behold, that soon birthed a fish trap because he needed something to move around in and keep the elements off his body. So it's crazy how we find ourselves in these situations and how you just think outside the box and what's that next thing uh, to catch fish. And for Dave, it became how do we be mobile? Like in order to catch fish, anyone can catch fish when the sun comes up and the sun goes down. Anyone can. If you're on the right spot, I don't care your skill level, you can catch fish. The challenge in the sport of fishing, whether it's ice fishing or anything, is when the bite's not amazing, how do you catch them? And Dave found ways to find solutions to that problem well beyond well beyond any of us or any of us rationally thinking about how to do it. And he still does it today uh, with tackle co- concepts and, and all kinds of different things. So pretty cool story to hear at. I don't want to sit in this hard house. Hey, I love you guys. We're having fun. This is some good storytelling, but I want to catch fish, and that's just how Dave Gens is wired. Started moving around, got outside the shack, and guess what? He found fish, and he birthed 
an entire revolution of how we ice fish, that mobility aspect of the game. And I, I guess, you know, maybe tell people a little bit again story because, you know, the, when I think of Dave, the first thing I think of is the fold over or what we now kind of call the clam style shack. Yeah. But for, for people that don't really know, kind of expanded upon that, how that came about in that whole little Gen story. Because his wife, like, was literally sewing the first ones and they were, but I'll let you tell the story because you definitely sat with them a lot more than I have. Yeah, it's it's an amazing story. And it's it's one of those stories that I, if you're invested in the sport of ice fishing, I don't care what hat you wear, what brand you wear, whatever, uh, you can relate to this. And it gives you goosebumps. And, I mean, Dave was making these houses. The first house, we just had the 40th anniversary this year of the fish trap. 40 years ago, uh, he sat in his garage thinking how to find a way to be more mobile, like we were discussing, and he birthed this fish trap. Uh, and, yes, Patsy, his, his late white Patsy, would sew the canvas on by hand around the conduit, all the way along, all the bars. And he would build these these sleds out of wood. He'd paint them. He'd doll them up. And, of course, as the years tr- progressed, he would find plastic molds and better canvas and better fabric. But from day one, he was building these things in his garage. I think the first year he built, like, three of them. And he gave one to each of his closest buddies. And every person on the ice would come walking up and say, what are you fishing out of? And Dave's like, it's the fish trap. And what's the fish trap? And Dave would tell him. Year two, I think he built like a dozen. Year three, he had to actually start coming up with a business plan because there was enough demand that he actually had to dedicate X amount of time every day to building these things. Uh, and the rest is history. Uh, so it's quite a cool, cool story. And, you know, Dave tells it much better than I do. And it's, and, and, he gets emotional about it, obviously. It's kind of, he's left this stamp on the industry. And even though we have all these other brands that have flip over models and all this stuff, he started it all. And he always jokes, he's like, if I knew what I knew now, uh, I might have tried this uh, thing called a patent on, uh, on flipping over uh, something to ice fish out of. But he didn't know any better back then. And, and that's not how he's wired. He's not a greedy individual, he's not that person. He, he did what he did to make the sport better, to help people catch fish. And to this day, uh, Dave Gens isn't that guy that cares about uh, prestige or fame. Uh, if you've worked with him at shows, Ross, he'll sit there until the show starts and stay until the show ends and talk to every person, whether they're three years old or 95. And I have to tell him to go take a lunch break. That's just how the man's wired. If anybody has earned the right to slough off at a sports show it's dave gets but he doesn't and that's the way he lives his life and i think that's the reason he's been so successful is is that humble attitude that i'm doing this for the greater good it's not about me um and and he continues to do it he continues to find new concepts you're going to see more products coming out that you and i will go why didn't i think of that why what like he's still on the top of his game. Uh, but uh, yeah, from day one, he was finding ways to be better. And that fish trap, I think, and mobility changed the game forever for ice fishing. And it's something that everyone always asks me, hey, Matt, who's the next Dave Gens? And I, I honestly will look him in the eye and say, there won't be one. There can't be one. It's impossible. Uh, people can't duplicate what that guy did. It's, it is impossible. It just can't be done again. So, uh, Pretty fun. If you get the chance, Ross, or anybody watching this, to corner Dave at an event, uh, you would be foolish not to. It's it's a worthwhile conversation, and you'll have it with you, and you'll walk away 
uh, knowing something more than you did before you started. Yeah, and you know, like another guy to me, because I remember at one of the shows having dinner with Dave and uh, and Rick, and to me, like, Rick Johnson is another guy. No, Rick's a guy that's probably not trying to get in the limelight or really making a business out of it, but he's one of those just fishy guys. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and in a similar way, I think is kind of a developer of things just because of a lot of time on the ice. Very different than Dave, but I don't know if you'd agree with that. Oh, 100%. Rick is, Rick is a legend. Like, Rick was that original team member of Dave Gens. Like, if you ask Dave Gens, probably who one of his best friends is from the beginning of this fishing era, it'd be Rick Johnson, the Rick Johnsons, the Joe Jacksons, the Kenny Mathesons, you know, the Wayne Clems. Uh, these guys, you're right, these unsung heroes, and they exist in every aspect of life, not just fishing. The unsung heroes are uh, deserve to be put on pedestals, and Rick's definitely one of them. Rick right now is fishing every day. Uh, he don't want to work shows. He doesn't, like you said, he could, he could have been in the limelight. He chose not to. He chose to live maybe an under-the-radar lifestyle, uh, but now he's just fishing every day, uh, living kind of uh, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, and that's how he'd like it. So I honestly haven't spent much time with Rick in the last couple of years because I haven't seen him. Uh, he hasn't come down. Uh, God bless him. I hope we all can live that life someday. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, if you look back on, on Dave Gens's history, uh, there's a group of guys that many people probably don't know their names that helped just as much as Dave influence this marketplace and rick johnson's and yeah i would uh if you ever get a chance to fish with rick johnson or if you ever get a chance to bend his ear and if you're not listening intent you made a grave mistake he's one of those guys that he doesn't bs he tells you how it is and usually if he tells you this that or indifferent it is exactly how it should be so you're spot on i mean just so, so many things have evolved from this i mean what do you think is the biggest thing that's either coming or that we're already in the works with evolution? Oh man, I'll tell you what, I, I mean, there's, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to mention the rod game, but obviously everyone's doing it. And I think, I, I don't know what else we can do on the rod game. I mean, tackle, bringing tungsten to the marketplace more, obviously that's happening. Um, using materials like we've done with, with these new silkies, I think that's onto something where you're not using bait, not using plastics even. That's new, but I, I'll be honest, you know, probably, Ross, I have to say it's the electronics game. I mean, it's, if you have to ask me what, in right now, that's really e- evolving rapidly and changing the way we truly fish. Uh, I mean, I understand somebody might pick up a spring bobber for the first time. I understand that. Somebody might decide to use tungsten. I get it. Somebody might buy a float suit. Great. Um, but when you look at some of the technology behind uh, some of the sonar, you know, this this targeting applications, whether it's panoptics, live scope, live, uh, you know, three sixty imaging. Oh my gosh, man! It's I remember a day where, and I'm and I, and and we're younger than most, Ross. But I remember a day even in my life where I didn't even have a GPS, and I had to go out and rip a crap ton of holes just to find the darn spot I fished three days ago. Uh, to get on the fish or look at a, a shoreline or, oh, man, there's a dock or, hey, there's a silo or there's this. Now these guys can go out there with, uh, you know, a GPS in their hand, get right on the spot, and then, boom, punch a hole and scan the entire area and find that darn rock pile or school of fish 37 feet that direction. I mean, it's to me, that's what's... 
I, I would agree with that. And and the thing that always just surprises me with fishermen, because like I've got some big screen units on my Argo and my sled and stuff like that. People are like, oh, I can't believe you did. I'm like, it cost me about less than a hundred bucks to do that because I already had that unit from my boat. So whatever you have, you know, you get an extra bracket and a power cord and you just move it because you aren't using that boat, generally speaking, if we're ice fishing, right? Right. And yeah, I mean, like the, for me, I use the Lake Master stuff on the Great Lakes and the, the contours. And I, I can literally now, even though Erie's a huge place and it's a big mud bowl in a lot of the places we're fishing, some of those little contours that you can't really even hardly see in a map or anything. But I mean, just those little, little subtle changes, I can drive to them. And it's funny because when some of that mapping came became available, I don't know if you've experienced something like this. A lot of the waypoints, because I've got separate stuff for my ice fishing, and when when you when you lock that in, and then I put that really really not we had mapping, but now we've got like really good mapping, and when I put that new mapping in, and all of a sudden all of my waypoints started to make sense. Yeah, because it, you know when you're like, oh, you just feel like you wasted so much time because I did it the hard way, like I fished through it, and yep. you know, and, that, and like you said, that that was a big deal, but now. Just today, while we were setting this up, I looked at one of the ice team guys that was fishing with Dave and a couple of the guys a, a day or two ago, and they made a comment in their post there about they've never drove so, so many holes because the fish were moving at rapid pace and they were trying to figure out which way they went. Sure. And again, that's a deal where, like I'm using the 360 stuff, I can literally look and see 100 feet which way they're going so I don't have to make a bunch of extra noise. I don't have to have six guys fishing to say, hey, they went left or right, north, south, whatever it would be. Um, and that doesn't even take into account, like you said, almost all the manufacturers now having a live sonar that is yeah. almost like a video game. I mean, I, hopefully that gets kids, more younger generation into it, because that's like a real world video game. I think so. And I, and I think I think there's always, you know, we always got room for our flasher. And like I said, I'm, I'm a Vexlar guy and I always will be. It's it's my it's my intimate tool to catch fish. Right. But when you look at some of these systems, like I've been fishing with guys that have been running the live scope, the mega three, the 360 stuff. And as much as I hate to say it, like, and, and I'm guilty of, I got one on order. <laughs> I'm doing, you know, I'm jumping on the bandwagon because I've been seeing this stuff. But you start to wonder as an industry at what point, and I, I don't want to get off topic, but at what point uh, does this technology begin to hurt the fishing? Uh, are we there yet? Not even close. But I know it's been a part of many conversations. I've been a part of many conversations. I've talked with DNR members. I've talked with influential people in the industry that are sponsored by some of these brands that make this technology, wondering at what point do we make it so easy to catch fish that we have to start worrying about our resource? Because I see guys go fishing in the Twin Cities. I got here in the Twin Cities, the epicenter of ice fishing. Any given day right now, there's hundreds of people on the ice. And Ross, it'll astound you how many people now have live scope that now with zero, zero fishing experience, they may have started ice fishing a year ago, but they have the money to do it, are, are out there chasing these pods of crappies over the basin where these fish are generally for our entire lives never been touched. Now they're getting crushed. Now they're getting found easily. Now they're, now these fish can't hide I'm seeing schools of fish over basins that I've been fishing for 20 years becoming borderline impossible to stay on because they're getting broken up so fast by guys running these systems and telling their buddy, 60 feet that way. Nope, 
10 more feet, yep, you're on them, bang, start ripping fish. And I think our message needs to be pretty darn quick, um, selective harvest, because when I'm seeing where I fished, and I got catfish through the ice, and they're, they're the most susceptible species in the winter because of how they school up. These bites and these spots are being decimated uh, because of, of some of these tools where they were these fish were safe because, um, let's call it what it is, the average ice angler doesn't want to work. They don't want to punch 150 holes to stay on the fish. I don't care if anyone says that's the one percenter out there doing that. Now you're getting 10%, 15%, soon 20% of ice anglers with this technology at their fingertips. I don't know. It makes me nervous to see some of the trends and, and how that could impact our fishing as companies make this technology more affordable and more available. And I don't know, maybe it's just me getting a little worried, but hey, man, like you said, this is our life. Our livelihood is the sport of fishing. And, you know, I just see bites getting tougher and schools getting broken up more. And, and I look at some of these bites and I look around at the anglers doing it and they're all fishing live scope or panoptics uh, or whatever it is. And they're on social media saying, oh my gosh, it's changing the way I fish. I'm limiting, limiting, limiting out every day now. And it's like, at what point do we draw attention to that as, as an industry and say, oh boy, like even tournaments right now are starting to, are starting to ban them. Um, now, I said not to get off topic, and, and, and I'm not that guy to get too opinionated on this stuff, but I... No, that's an important, it's an important conversation, and there's no right answer, but I agree with you. I mean, I think realistically, you know, I make my living fishing too, and people always are like amazed that I don't keep fish. I keep fish usually two or three days a year with more than 200 days a year fishing, right. and it's just, that's all I need to eat, and it's just amazing to me it's young and it's old. It's, it's not just millennials. It's, you know, there's a lot of older guys sure. that, that have a real problem throwing fish back. I've had clients that flat out tell me, take us in. I can't watch you throw back these fish anymore. I mean, we could start a whole thing there about, you know, are you really right. a fisherman and all that stuff. But I, I think that instead of, you can't, you can't draw that technology back in my opinion. Once right. it's out there, it's out there and, and it, it is going to be anyhow. But I agree with you. I think that maybe a little more of a mentality change and a little bit more responsibility and not just keeping to keep or, you know, and, and even, I'm sure you'll agree with this. Like I'll, I'll tell guys and sometimes I kind of got to get on them because I'll say, Hey man, we ain't throwing dead fish back. You know, guys will get aggressive and and you can't don't rip hooks out of fish you know what i mean like if you're gonna if you're gonna let that fish go like do you want me to do that to you um right. and i'm by no means a tree hugger but at some point you just kind of got to respect the resource a little bit i'd agree and, and like i said i think these tools are great i mean i would love to have had them when i was in my 20s when i was hungrier than i am i mean i'm a father uh, you've got wife, your own basketball team four kids at home you know, I'm, I'm, if I'm turning the key in my boat or I'm starting my truck to go fishing, I'm trying to make money, right? There was a time in my life where it wasn't an obsession. It was a possession, and I fished every day. I think I had 335 days fishing one year at one point. And I couldn't imagine if I had these tools back then, it would have been ugly. It would have been to think about what we caught by the pure effort, blood, sweat, and tears, to know that this new generation of anglers that are in their 20s, that are not starting having the money and the know-how and the ability to go out and fish before their families start and life catches up to them. To know they have these tools, it's scary. It's, uh, it, like I said, if, if 
If you have the resources at your fingertips and you can't catch fish, I don't know how to help you, man, because you have the tools that we would have dreamt to have 15 years ago to do this. So it's cool. I mean, it's exciting. I, I We had a bite the other day where I had about 10 of us from Clam. We were doing a photo shoot on the ice, and we were chasing down basin crappies, and these fish were nomadic. They were all over the place, and we had three guys with with those types of systems that could see out and find the fish. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you the honest to God truth. Uh, if we didn't have those guys with those systems, we would have caught 20% of what we caught as a group. It wouldn't even been close uh, because we just could not stay on the fish. And and those are those aha moments where we sat down. And that's really where some of this conversation started was, you know, a couple of the guys were like, you know, we're good fishermen. Like, we know what the heck we're doing. I mean, I, I like to think so. We wouldn't have caught those fish if we didn't have that tool. And, um, and- and do you know what that is? This conversation we're having about whether it's 360 mega or some type of live imagery, this is the same conversation when somebody looked maybe, I don't know how many years ago, 30 years ago or whatever, with a flasher for those right. guys that weren't using a flasher. It's, right. it's the same conversation really, right? And, right? and I don't know what percentage of people go ice fishing now that don't have a flasher or some type of electronics, but I, probably not, not anybody more than once or twice. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'd agree with you. No, you're spot on. And, and, and it's the same thing. Like I've talked with some of the, the legends of the sport that have helped me, like my idols, like the Corey Studer types. Right. And, uh, and he'll tell me the same type of story when GPS came out. He's like, I remember when GPS, GPS came out that, you know, all these hardcore guides on the lax were like, Oh great. It's going to ruin the, the lake and it's going to change the game forever. And, you know, and you're probably right. I mean, we may come back to each other in five years and say, Hey, you know what? It is what it is. We found ways to adapt. We overcome. I mean, trust in our DNRs, right? Trust in the people out there making decisions to help keep our resources strong. And uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, to, in some degree, though, Ross, I mean, there are certain aspects of fishing I think are better than it's ever been. And I think some of that does come down to, you know, the right people in the right places making some of these decisions to protect our resources. And I'm not saying they make every correct decision. I don't either. I mean, we're none of us are perfect. But... You know, yeah, I'd be interesting to see what happens in five years yeah. if it changes the game or not. But you know, like Clam does stuff with that recycled fish and you know CPR, you know, catch photo release thing. I mean, you look at it from a hunting standpoint. You know, a lot of those species like wild turkeys, right? There's more wild turkeys here than when there was just sure. nobody here, and, and things like that. If it's managed correctly, and I, I agree, it sometimes that's tougher. I think the, the biggest difference between fishing and hunting is just like right now in Erie, they're saying there's 150 million fish. But the, realistically, there's no way in the short term for us to call that accurate, inaccurate, within 50 million, right? Right. Where it's a little easier, I think, with some of the when you can see it. So. Right. No, it's exciting. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I, I, I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I mean, right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, it's it's like I know you and I have talked about technology and number of things over the years. You know, we want to have the best tools at our fingertips to do our job, and why wouldn't you, right? I mean. You know, you have, at some point you have to just kind of figure it out. So, yeah, I'll be I'll be jumping on the bandwagon and playing with some of this technology. I've seen enough of it. I've seen enough of it. I've had guys around me kick my butt to say, you know what, I got my game. My clients ask about it. Uh, friends ask about it. So I got to be out there doing it too. So, you know, here's the thing though. I think the difference with guys that are really good, forget just ice fish, just fishing in general. They have these things that they realize the little things that make a difference. And I, I would argue. 
I would say absolutely on my list, electronics is number one too, because that puts you in the game. It's location, location, location. But then once you're there, all of a sudden, if there is a segment of fishing in general that presentation matters as much or more than anything, it has to be ice fishing, right? Because once you're there, they have longer to look at it than anywhere, anybody. And to me, the addition of, I guess, I don't know what Clam's technical name for him is, but a fly style reel, right? I mean, explain, you know, tell the people there that don't really understand what that's doing for you. I mean, it's essentially in very extreme layman's terms, it's taken spin out, but tell us the philosophy because we've got a couple new reels with Clam. Yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with fly reels, have been for a long time. I mean, we pioneered that concept when I worked at Thorn Brothers. Uh, I'm sure you know of Pat Smith, Ross. He's been for a long time. Uh, but there was days back in the Thorn Brothers days when I worked there, oh my gosh, 15 years, 20 years ago, where we were going to the Fly Angler, which is a fly fishing shop attached to Thorn. And we'd take these reels and put them on these ice fishing rods. And we got just the dumbest looks. Why would you put a fly fishing reel on an ice fishing rod? It's a one-to-one gear ratio or whatever, whatever. Or maybe you got a multiplier that's two, three to one. Why would you do this? And Pat Smith was big on zero line twist. I'm, I'm trying to target the most finicky fish in the water system any time of the year being big bluegills. And they come in slow. They don't want to eat anything. If that jig spins at all, if it does anything unnatural, if you cannot have complete control of that offering, you're not going to get bit. So he was doing this long before any company on the market was marketing a fly fishing reel or spooler reel to ice. It didn't exist multiple years. Uh, and the problem back then was, if anyone that fly fishes, you probably have an audience that fly fishes, I'm assuming as well, they weren't cheap. The cheapest fly fishing reel 20 years ago was fifty nine ninety nine. And for ice fishermen, you tell an ice angler 15, 20 years ago that you're going to spend 60 bucks on a reel to go ice fishing. They didn't care who they were. They looked at your cross-eyed, and they thought you were trying to sell them a bag of goods. So obviously we've come a long ways. Every brand out there now has fly-type reels, spooler reels. But to me, there's multiple reasons to use them. Ross nailed one of them, line twist. That line comes straight down. It doesn't come off a spool of your, of your spinning reel. It comes straight down, and it comes straight back on. Drag doesn't inflict line twist. Retrieving doesn't inflict line twist. Dropping the bait down, yada, yada, yada. It, it fishes the jig straight. And also, in my mind, one of the more important things, uh, or two important things, is one, it slows down the way we fish. We are, we are fast-paced people. That's the way we live. We want to bomb down. You drop your locator in the water, and you see a fish in 24 feet of water, four feet up, you want to just bomb it down to that fish. Well, the way I look at it is, is, is you're dropping something extremely fast onto a fish, and that fish, you can see it on your locator. If you're good enough with watching your flasher, you see that, that mark quiver when that bait comes down because that fish is going like this. It's looking up. I now have to drop the line out, and I use those type of reels that you have to pull up by hand. I'm not using the free fall reels. You push the button, still, and it drops back down. Uh, I'm using the one you're pulling up by hand. I'm working that entire water column. I'm slowing down the way I fish. I think as anglers, we miss so many fish. If you're targeting fish in under 20 feet, 20 feet of water, which is 80% of the time I fish through the ice, and you're not fishing that first 10 feet of the water column, you are making a drastic mistake. You need to fish your entire way down, slow down the way you fish, focus on things, and you'll watch your increase fish go up. And another thing, a lot of lakes we fish, whether it's perch fishing, bluegill fishing, crappie fishing, 
you know, talking about the selective harvest, the catch and release aspect of the game, you know, and I and I taught this one to my son. My oldest son's twelve. He's a, he's well beyond me when it comes to fishing at twelve years old. We were fishing the other day, and he was using a spinning rod and reel, um, crappie fishing. We're in twenty six feet of water, and he drops down there, he catches a crappie, he reels it up, and that darn air bladder's coming out of that seven inch crappie's mouth. And my son's like, "Hey, dad, what's up with this? What is this?" I'm like, "That's their air bladder. They're reeling them up too fast." I said, "You know, slow down how you're bringing that fish up." These one to one and two three to one gear ratio spool reels force you to slow down on a fish retrieve. That's a good so, point. Ability to play the fish out, land the fish out, protect the fish, bring them up. So you're even watching walleye anglers right now running these two three to one gear ratio fly reels. Uh, there's no reason you can't catch a walleye with them. Put six pound test on the drake systems are great, but I noticed that it makes me fish slower and man. I think it drastically increases how many fish you catch using that type of reel. I agree. And, and you know, the whole pullout thing, cause I'm, if there's a guy that's on <laughs> speed, it's me. I'm just can't slow yeah. down with anything, but I think, you know, I do like the trigger style things for, I've been trying to kind of work them into some walleye stuff with some dead stick things that I've been doing. Um, but with perch fishing, I really like the trigger deal because sometimes we're fishing often for me, anyhow, pretty deep. And it, it is, it's just easier. But right. but forcing yourself to slow down is, is absolutely an important thing to do. I think just right. about with whatever whatever you're doing in fishing, most people are going too fast. And I think you're spot on. I mean, don't get me wrong. I got plenty of spinning reels in my arsenal. Like if I'm fishing mud flats on Malax, if I'm fishing perch on Devil's Lake or whatever. I mean these these true basin mud flat fish where it's like now you see me now you don't, and I'm spoon fishing or I'm fishing a tikka minnow or whatever, yeah, you got to get down quick. I mean, they're absolutely, you're right, is a time and a place. And I'm guessing for a majority of your fishing, Ross, it's important that speed's the name of the game. you got to be on these fish. you got to target. You talk to Zippy Dahl, who guides on Devil's Lake, or Mitchell, they're going to tell you the same thing. Like, they understand the idea behind the school reel. They totally get it. They embrace it. But when you got to get down to a perch in 33 feet of water before it moves on, you got to get that spoon down. So, yeah, there's times where you don't need a spool or reel, but where I guide in my neck of the woods, you know, I'm fishing finicky panfish. I'm usually in the weeds. I'm fishing, you know, bluegills and crappies that have seen a ton of baits, that there's a lot of noise. You know, I found that when I slow my approach and I get more intimate with what I'm doing, man, I just catch a bunch more fish. So, yeah, I think that even, you know, you kind of, we kind of skipped over rods and stuff, but a, a, a little funny story but you know when i was in high school i was using g loomis rods and the only way i could could do this i learned how to build my own and i would i would build a bunch and sell them and then i'd take the whatever was left over there to you know take the parts and build myself one so i was building whatever it was three or four to to get my one and i I'd build up a little arsenal stuff that i that i you know and i still have those rods and they're still they're still coming into effect i still use them from time to time but nowadays there is really, no, in my opinion, there is no need to have a custom rod for open water because like the G Loomis stuff that I'm using, the NRXs and the Conquest, the handles, the guides, there's nothing I would do different. Like there's no reason they're so balanced. And obviously, you know, the, the addition of, you know, if something does happen, a lot of these rods have warranty, you know, stuff like that, but it's just easier to just not have to you know, put the blood, sweat, and tears into doing it, if you even know how to do it. And right. I kind of tra- would say that with Clam, too, because, you know, like we had the Ice Team Professional Series, which just kind of ran its course, and we've got some new stuff coming. 
But, you know, I built my, I physically built my prototype rod on that and said, this is what I want. And, you know, I, I wanted, I, there was reasons for everything there, right? And, and that's the part of the ICE team is the, the innovation for specific areas because there was whatever there was, seven or eight models in that. You had a rod in that that was, you know, specific to your thing. And um, But the cost and the ability to just go get it. You don't have to get on a waiting list. You don't have to wonder, you know, if you could pick up a hundred of those rods that are exactly the same, you know, and that's not always the case with custom rods and things, not to knock on that, but just from a cost standpoint and realistically getting your hands on one, I would say that that's been a game changer too, because you don't have to find about, you know, Bob Smith's garage deal and get on a waiting list because he only builds 50 a year. Sure. No, you're spot on. I mean, it's a, it's amazing how, how well, rod companies have figured out the game i mean and there's been nice fishing nice fishing rods for a long time don't get me wrong but they're really dialed in now on how to do, play this game and it's trickled into the ice fishing market where you're spot on i mean can you spend 150 bucks and get a custom rod bill with maybe a little better guide set or maybe you want to space it this way or your favorite color wrap absolutely and and i have plenty of those don't get me wrong as i'm sure ross you probably have some that you've got over the years or whatever and then they catch fish but for the guy or gal that maybe doesn't have that at their fingertips or to your point there's times a year where it's tough to get one or we're sold out or we're waiting for more blanks or whatever and these factory rods that are coming out nowadays are incredible and i'm talking i mean there's rods out there you can buy for 30 dollars, ross that do what the best rod ever on ice did 10 years ago i mean it's it's crazy the technology we have nowadays and how well uh, businesses, companies, whether it's Clam or whoever, have figured out how to make these rods, how to balance things properly. Uh, you no longer have to worry about guides twisting because they can't find fine. I mean, these companies building these sun, these rods, they're dialed. I mean, we are very spoiled on the ice rod game. You walk into your local tackle shop and you've got a slew of ice rod out there now and you can get after it and catch some fish. It's I tell my kids all the time. I mean, they they, they don't know. I, I remember when I my first spinning rod for ice fishing, Ross. Don't laugh at me. I uh, pulled the two wooden dowels out of the handle of a of a rod and taped uh, a reel on that probably weighed about a pound and a half. So I had my little dowel rod. You wrap the line around the dowels. I pulled those out. And this rod had two guides. One guide about this far up, and one about here. And I taped a spinning reel to it. That was my first spinning rod when I was about 10 years old. Things uh, have changed. Oh, it, <laughs> there weren't a ton of options. I mean, we'd go into your local Gander Mountain. You didn't have all these other tackle shops out there. Now, you didn't have, you know, there was uh, maybe one or two players in the custom rod shop game. Uh, and you, you would buy rod reel combos, but there weren't as plentiful. Now, you know, there's, like I said, for $19.99, you can walk into a store and get a pretty darn nice Rod real combo if you wanted it. Uh, you know, and as involved in the sport, you're going to invest more and you're going to buy the nicer stuff. And once you do, I'm warning you right now, you're going to know exactly why you did and you're not going to want to fish with anything else. That's right. I think the one thing is kind of, it's not surprising to me anymore, but when I sit in different you know meetings with companies that I work with, just like Clam, I think in the past, before pro staffs and social media are what they are now, a lot of the guys that pull the triggers at these given companies were like, yeah, Ross, this is awesome, but I don't think we're going to sell enough. Or, you know what, there's just not enough people that want it. And I said, well, how do we know if we haven't even, 
we haven't even let people know about it because I know that this catches people more fish. But I'm also understanding that if there's a color that only works on one lake in southeast Iowa, it's not something clams going to be able to put in the lineup. But, you know, with rods, I think that that's, you guys really have listened. And, you know, like my rod with the Ice Team Professional Series, that, that sold really well in that series. I, was, I think that was the highest volume one because guys used it, you know, for, for lake trout too and, and other applications that, you know, we, we had to make something available. It's not that there wasn't a demand. And I know I can't say too much, but next year there's probably some things maybe coming that I know I'm, I'm liking. Yeah. Well, you may have had something to do with it. I don't know. Maybe we'll, yeah. uh, we'll see. But, yeah, there's some stuff coming down the pipeline. We always push the ball um, and try to get things out there. I mean – the beauty of it is, like you said, you know, it's hard to, when these expensive ice rods came to market, I mean, for a, a long period of time, it was just the custom shops making what you would consider an expensive ice rod, right? Like it was a custom ice rod. That was the term used. And there's a lot of companies that have come along that, you know, are, are custom rod shops or maybe, and people challenge what that word means now. Because like customization, like, if you're not truly customizing a rod, why are you calling it a custom rod? You're just building the same rod and making 80 of them, and yeah, they're built by hand, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, now I think our market, our consumer has understood that, you know, spending a little more for our ice fishing rod is worth it. And I think we've changed that mentality the last probably even like two years. I mean, I'm not talking 10 years. Like, this is a recent change where ice anglers are now finding out that you can spend $80, $100 for an ice fishing rod, though, and get what you want, just like buying these expensive electronics. I think there's been this shift the last couple of years where ice anglers are spending more. Ice fishermen forever got that cheap A stigma, right? Forever they were labeled as, oh, it's the, the, the cheap butts of the industry. They don't want to spend any money. And sure, I work retail. A lot of that was true. I think it's changing. I think ice fishermen are spending 800 bucks for a fish house and not thinking twice. They're spending 600 bucks for a float suit, not thinking twice. They're spending $2,000 for electronics, not thinking twice. They're buying $25,000 ice castles, not thinking twice. And now it's just, as anything, trickling into ice, into ice rods and reels and $5 jigs. And I think you're seeing the industry embrace that change and they understand that no longer when you tell somebody at a sports show, oh, this rod costs 80 bucks. Do they go, Whoop, and run? Now they go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, tell me more about it. I've seen that shift the last couple of years. And, you know, in typical fashion, the industry has shift. And the industry is, we live in, we, we work in the best industry, period. The outdoor industry, in my opinion, I might be biased, is the coolest industry on the planet. And well, we're biased, they, but I agree. I, I, I love it. And, <laughs> and they see that. They see the opportunity, like the Shimano's, the G. Loomis's, uh, St. Croix's, more custom rod shops, more high-end rod builders going, I can build a $100 rod or more or a $200 rod or a $150 rod, no matter what the price point, because I think the consumer will embrace it. And uh, it's cool to watch. And, man, it's you're looking at this new generation anglers, like I said, they are deadly anglers. They are dialed. They are they're teaching us things, Ross, that we didn't know, and it's fun to watch. And like I said, as long as we're careful about it, the future of this sport is very bright. It's very bright. I'm very excited to see where it goes. And Me too. It's 
Well, we definitely could talk all day about this. Why don't you leave us, though, because me and you are chatty Cathy's. But leave yeah, me but with one insight or tip that you wish you would have gotten earlier on or something that you kind of abide by. It's, it's, it's really unique when I talk with fishing guys. They always seem to have one thing that, like, hey, this is it. And leave me with that one thing. Uh, I would say maybe not so much uh, for me, myself, but generally speaking to anybody that's watching this, um, clothing. Uh, I'm not even gonna. I'm not need to mention brands. That's not the intention. It's you have zero excuses now to be cold on the ice, zero. And I think we oftentimes look at listen to our entire podcast. We talked about electronics and rods and tackle and this and that. That's the stuff that always gets put in the limelight. That's the glamorous stuff. But I think too many ice fishermen still to this day um, forget the aspect that if you're cold on the ice, I don't care what rod you have. I don't care what electronics you have. If you're cold on the ice, you're not comfortable, you're not going to want to do it. And I, and I even see veteran ice anglers get cold on the ice. I'll tell you what, if you layer properly, if you are a student of the game and you wear the stuff you should be wearing on the ice, the proper socks, good pair of boots, that's what you should invest your money in first. That's just my opinion because then you're out there, you're comfortable. No other element stops you from fishing, you know, because if you have a $200 rod, a $2,000 set of electronics, and you're out there doing this, and you're like, oh, I need to get in the fish house, I'm cold, you just handcuffed yourself. That's, so, that's a um, good one. That's good. I, you know, I, clothing is so important. I, I agree. It's like free throws. Kids want to, they want to, you got to hit your free throws. Get back to the <laughs> basics. Yeah. Yep. Well, Matt, we'll definitely have to do this again, and uh, good luck on the ice this season. We appreciate you checking in with the Big Water Podcast. All you guys at home, make sure you look at BigWaterFishing.com. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all that good stuff. Check out who we have next. It's going to be hot. <laughs>